we've been going through the uh, four lapel, and it's exciting to see what God's been doing. It's exciting to see how God's been moving in people's lives, and the company that we've been blessing for the last two weeks uh, decided to pay it forward to some people in our community. And so it's awesome to see how when you go out and bless others, that they in turn go out and guess what? They bless others, right? And so this, this past two weeks, we've been blessing Myers Insurance Agency, and they went out and they blessed a family. And so that's exciting to see that. And really, the four lapel stuff, yes, we started it, but it, we really want to get everybody involved, right? We want to get the whole community involved in blessing others. This isn't just a river thing. It might be something the river started, but we want to invite the whole town and all of the businesses and everybody to get involved in loving and appreciating each other. And Christmas is a great time to kick that off. And we're going to bless every town and every agency in Lapel over the next two years. If you don't live in Lapel, I want to encourage you to pay it forward and show that you are for those agencies and community uh, businesses and people in your community, wherever that might be, whatever that might be and how you would do that. So today we, we're going to start a new uh, new business in Lapel that we can love on for the next two weeks and just go and tell those employees that you appreciate them and that you're thankful for them. And hopefully this should be a real easy one for us here in Lapel just to go tell those employees uh, that we appreciate them and that we're grateful for them. So would you, would you watch uh, this video? Hey, it's me. The next two weeks, we are going to be loving on the Dollar General and the employees of the Dollar General here in Lapel. If you live in Lapel, you're really familiar with this phrase. Got to make a DG run. Where would Lapel be without the ability to make a DG run? We'd probably be in a lot of trouble. So for the next two weeks, let's love on Dollar General and show them that we are for them. Thanks. All right. How many of you have made that statement, DG Run or Dollar General or whatever? You, yes, yeah. If you live in Lapel, you know, uh, hey, I got to make a Dollar General run. I got to go. Um, in fact, we, I think we made a DG Run yesterday, didn't we? Yeah, she's like, yeah. <laughs> Her DG Run, though, she, she came back with Christmas lights. I don't know that that was a part of the DG Run, but that's okay. Um, you always find something else you need or you got to have. And um, it's always good just to be able, again, to love on people and to care for people and to show them how much you appreciate them. So for the next two weeks, we're just going to love on the employees and the people that work at Dollar General. And again, I would encourage you, if you're not from Lapel or do not live in Lapel, go to your local Dollar General and just say, hey, my church in Lapel is loving on Dollar General employees and go uh, love on them. Well, last week we covered... Luke chapter 2, and we talked about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. And really the whole point of the sermon was that God appoints things in our lives. That in the Old Testament, uh, in Jewish culture, there is not a word for coincidence. The word coincidence does not, they don't even have that word. In fact, they use one of two other words. They either use it's an appointment, which infers that something has been scheduled. There's an appointment, or it was God. And so there's either an appointment, and last week we talked about that there was an appointment, there was a decree, and that God uses natural means and natural methods to accomplish his desire and his will. 
And so Mary and Joseph, they tracked across the desert and they got back to Bethlehem. Well, outside of Bethlehem, there are a group of people known as shepherds. And what we're going to talk about today, last week was Christmas, God's appointment. Today is Christmas, God provides. And here's what we have to understand, that God will not appoint something in your life in which he does not plan to provide for. God will appoint things in your life to happen, and they might come out of the blue to you, but they did not come out of the blue to God. And before the foundation of the world, he said, that's going to happen in their life, or they're going to make this decision, and even though I don't approve of it, I'm going to provide for them. I'm going to take this situation, which is negative, and maybe it's by our own choice. How many of us have made negative decisions before that had a negative? Yes. And God says, that's not, I, I don't want that decision, but I'll use it. Because God is completely resourceful and uses whatever he can use to bring us into a closer relationship with him. And so God will provide for you in that appointed hour or that appointed need. You see, a lot of us sometimes, we try to move forward in our lives and we try to get positions maybe on your job or maybe try to get positions in the community or our talents sometimes, our abilities take us where our character can't keep us. Let me say that again. Our talent can take us where our character can't keep us. You know what I'm saying? That sometimes our talent is better than the character that's inside of us. And so all of a sudden, we blow it. We lose the position because our character was not as strong as our talent. You don't have to look very far. Just turn on ESPN and you'll see plenty of athletes who had better talent than they had character. It's not hard in life to see that. Now, we don't see it as often when it's the VP or manager of a company. That's not on the news quite as much as athletes, but it happens all the time. It happens all around the world that we allow our talent to take us where our character can't keep us. And so God says, okay, I have an appointment for you and I'm going to provide. But the question is, will you walk in the provision that God's given you? Do you walk in it or do you turn it down. In Luke chapter 2, let's continue the story in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So here's a group of shepherds, and what are they doing? Are they, are they in the church? Are they, are they doing something spiritual? No. They're actually doing their job. They're doing something natural, but they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? They're, they're taking care of the sheep. And in those days, shepherds had no status. If you're not familiar with culture back then, shepherds had no status. They were on the outskirts. They were minimalized. Their opinions didn't count. They didn't matter. And yet, God says, I'm going to send some angels to the lowest of the low 
And I'm going to use them. And I'm going to provide my word for them. Oftentimes, God speaks despite our circumstances. You might have come in this morning and you might have been depressed. You might have been upset. I know that sometimes the holidays can bring a lot of depression and uneasiness for people. But God says, I'm going to speak to you despite your circumstance. The question is, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to say, God, I don't understand this, and this doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to listen for your voice anyway. The issue comes to be is that God typically doesn't speak to us the way we want him to. Right? We want, we want God to send angels in the night sky and go, Ah, that's, what I'm, that's the job I'm supposed to take because he sent a whole multitude of angels to appear in the sky. Well, if he's God, he could do that, and he should do that. Otherwise, he's not God. What you understand about God is that God is more concerned about growing the heavenly qualities in us called faith and trust and love because that is what the economy of heaven runs on, not the economy of earth. Economy of earth runs on proof. God, I need proof. God says, I'm not giving you proof because I'm building you for eternity. I'm not building you for 80 years on this planet. I'm building you for eternity. So I need to grow your faith and your trust and your love and your patience and your perseverance. That's what heaven values. And so God oftentimes speaks to us in our circumstances, but he doesn't speak the way that we want him to. Because he's interested in preparing you for heaven. How many of you want to go to heaven? Let me see your hand. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, I got heaven on my mind. Turn to your other neighbor and say, not the other place. Not the other place, right? Well, if I got heaven on my mind, then I need to start preparing my life and my mind for heaven right now. Right? You're supposed to set back money in a 401k to retire, right? You can plan for 30 years from now when you retire. We need to start planning 80 years from now when we Get into heaven. And so how does God speak? What are some of the ways that God speaks? Well, one of, my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the prophet Elijah. And he goes to the prophets of Baal and he basically challenges them. And he says this. He says, whichever God, Jehovah or Baal, we're going to build an altar. And whichever God answers by fire, that God is God. And so just to summarize the story for you, Israel, Israel has gone astray. Okay, they have a queen named Jezebel, and Jezebel has brought in Baal worship and set up Baal temples and Baal poles all over, all over the nation of Israel. God is despised. God, is, uh, God himself actually is very angry at this. And so he sends his prophet Elijah in, and he says, go tell them I will not tolerate my children disobeying. And so Elijah goes in and he challenges the prophets of Baal. Long story short, God, Jehovah, answers by fire. Elijah then issues an edict and says, all of the Baal priests and the Baal prophets need to be killed right now. And so he kills over 400 of them. Now Jezebel, the queen, is furious with Elijah. Elijah just had this major victory in his life. The queen is on the hunt for him. And essentially what happens is Elijah goes into an extremely deep state of depression and hides in a cave and says, it would be better if I would just die. I would rather be dead than to continue to live like this. 
is what he tells God in his prayer. And so we come to the point where God's ready to speak to Elijah in his depression. And so in 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, starting with verse 11, it says this. The Lord said, God's talking to Elijah in his spirit, and he says, okay, I want you to go outside of the cave. The Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God didn't show up in the wind. He didn't show up in the earthquake. and He didn't show up in the fire. All these big, powerful things. And Elijah's like, oh, that's got to be God. That has to be God. Oh, fire came down. There's fire. It's hot. It's burning. That's not God. He says at the very end, when everything settled down, there was a whisper. And it was in the whisper that he heard God's voice. You see, this is why it's extremely important in our personal lives, in our daily lives with God, that we shut stuff down. At some point in your day, you need to shut everything down. You turn the phone off, TV off, tell your spouse, look, I'm going to go spend X number of minutes or hours or whatever it is with God. I'm shutting everything down so that I can hear God speak. Now, true, sometimes God will send fire, and and with me, sometimes God has to use a two-by-four upside my head. I I get that, right, because that's just human stubbornness sometimes. But the vast majority of the time when God speaks, he's quiet. Why? He wants your undivided attention. He wants your complete attention. And so my challenge to you this morning is this. Take 10 minutes out of your day, 15 minutes out of your day, 30 minutes out of your day. Whatever you can tolerate, shut down, lock everything out. Pray. Read your Bible, a devotional, something. Look for God in the whisper. Look for God in the whisper. And so here are the shepherds. And it's funny because shepherds at night, it's pretty quiet. Everything's shut off. Now God, of course, sending his son, wanted to get their attention. And he got their attention pretty well. But I want to encourage you to be like the shepherd and just shut everything off. Say, God, what are you saying to me today? God, how can I bless somebody today? God, or maybe your time with God is best at night before bed. God, where were you today? Where did I see you operating today so that tomorrow I won't miss that chance or I won't miss that opportunity to hear God's voice and to hear God speak? So number one, you have to understand that God is going to speak to you despite your circumstances, but he may not speak to you the way that you want him to. More often than not, it's in the whisper. In verse 10 of the same passage in Luke chapter 2, in verse 10, it says this. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good 
good news. That I'm sure angels singing is good noise, all right? Sure of that. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. They said, there's, a, there's something happening in Bethlehem that is of great joy and is going to bring great joy to a multitude and masses of humanity. It's going to be joy. It, it, the word joy means an event that creates Joy. Well, that doesn't help, does it? And so basically what you have to do is you have to drill down. Okay, what's the original Greek word for this big word joy? And it's Cairo. It means to thrive. Cairo means to thrive. It, it denotes a, a, a particular point where all of a sudden you become so joyous that you can think of nothing else and you are thriving. You are living in the moment. Right? Have you ever had that where you're just living in the moment that you don't want to think about anything else? You don't ever want this moment to stop. You just want to live in it. This describes joy. I don't want this moment to ever end. This is exactly how life should be every day of the year, every day of my life. This is joy. I am thriving. Everybody knows my name. I'm on top of the world. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 verse 10 that when the angels announced this that the shepherds had Cairo. They were thriving. Do you want to know how to thrive? Do you want to know what it takes to thrive in life? I do. And as I was putting this sermon together, I said, God, what, what does thrive mean? What, what does that mean? And so here's what thrive means. To honor a righteous invitation to venture into eternity. To honor a righteous invitation to venture into eternity. That's what these angels were doing. They were giving them an opportunity. They were inviting them to honor this invitation to touch eternity. You see, it's not that life is short. It's just that we're dead for so long. Right? That's, that's really the issue. And so when we're dead for so long, forever, physically dead, when you touch eternity, you touch the part of you that lives forever. And when you begin to touch that part of you, you begin to thrive. And so God offers us all an invitation to venture into eternity. The question is, do we honor that righteous invitation. Because if you want to thrive, you're going to honor the righteous invitation to venture into eternity. And every day you get an invitation to venture into eternity. Every day. Why? Because every day you can spend time with God and touch eternity. Every day you can share Jesus with somebody and venture to eternity. Every day you have an opportunity somewhere to venture into eternity and allow the real you to thrive. You know, I had the privilege of, of conducting a funeral this week, and one of the things that I said in the funeral was this, that one day all of us will step out of our earth suits, much like an astronaut steps out of his space suit. You see, when you see the astronaut floating around in space and fixing a satellite or something, you know that that space suit is not the real astronaut. I had news for you.
The real you just causes your earth suit to move the way the astronaut causes a spacesuit to move. The real you is one day going to be separated out of that suit. Question is, are you building the person inside the suit or are you more concerned with building the suit itself? That's what we got to focus on. That's what we have to be focused on. And so James, the stepbrother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 1, 2 through 4. He says, consider it pure joy. Same word, Cairo. In other words, consider the opportunity to thrive, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, consider it. When you face a trial in life, consider it an opportunity to thrive. Consider it as an opportunity to honor a righteous invitation to venture into eternity. I've got a problem in my life. It's now an invitation to tap into eternity. Do I tap into eternity or do I try to solve the problem on my own? What's it going to be? Am I going to tap into the eternal in my life or am I going to keep trying to push this thing with my own logic and my own reason and my own ability? What's it going to be? Do I tap into God? It's interesting because in the English, we don't really have a word for it. And so oftentimes it doesn't get translated in James. But he actually says... Consider it pure joy or thrive. See it as an opportunity to thrive, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then it says something interesting in the Greek. It says, let her, perseverance, let her have her perfect work. Now, why did he just call perseverance a female? Because in James's day and in that culture and to the Christians, Christians especially, in fact, Christians are the ones that termed this. He says, let the queen virtue have her moment. Perseverance and endurance was considered the queen of all virtues. And so James says, let her work it out. The queen of all virtues I suppose if love is the greatest, being the king, then perseverance is the queen. And he says, let her, when she, he uses it in the female sense because his readers would have known that, oh yeah, perseverance, endurance is is the queen of all virtues. Let her finish the work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. So, The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Who's he talking to? Christ, who's he talking to? Christ followers and non-Christ followers? He's talking to Christ followers. He's talking to people that are following Jesus. And he says, listen, you are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, of people that have gone on before you. Some people we know about that history records, and vast many history does not record. And he says, they're all cheering you on. 
They're all pulling for you. They've ran this race. They've completed their race. Now you're taking the baton and you're running it. You have to run the race. But listen, to run the race, here's here's what I know about runners. The vast majority of them actually enjoy it. Do they hurt? Yes. Is there pain? Yes. I have friends of mine that run marathons, and they will tell you that somewhere in that marathon, your body hits a wall, and you will want to quit. In fact, you will mentally say, I can't do this anymore. My leg is going to snap in two, or my lungs are going to blow up, and you will feel like it. And they say, but when you feel that, you keep running. Why? They say because it's a physical wall that your body has reached its limit and it doesn't know how to do, it doesn't know how to keep breathing or the legs don't know how to keep running. They say, but if you mentally force yourself to do it, you will eventually break through that wall and get a second wind. But they say, and what I've been told from my friends is the vast majority of people just quit because they can't handle the pain. They say, but if you learn to run through the pain, you get a second wind and you can go another 10 miles. Like, another 10 miles? Can't even get to like 10% of the first 10 miles, right? And so the writer of Hebrews says, keep running. Because as you're running your race, the people are cheering you on. They're there for you as encouragement, right? But he say, when you break through that wall of pain, you thrive. Because now you've gotten to something that only the 15% of the people know how to get to and get through. Now think about that for a minute. You thrive. And so he invites you to run. He invites you to keep running and to keep pushing and to keep going. He invites you to honor a righteous invitation to venture into eternity. This is your moment. This is your opportunity to thrive. When troubles and trials come, you were meant to thrive. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm going to thrive. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to thrive. I'm going to bust through the wall. I'm going to keep running. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. But I was meant to thrive. And I'm going to honor the righteous invitation to venture into eternity. And so the shepherds show, or the angels show up to the shepherds and they say, Joy, thrive. It's time for humanity to thrive. It's time for humanity to thrive. And number three, the third and final point is this, that God provides. You know, last week we talked about God appoints things in our lives. God schedules things in our lives. Or sometimes we schedule things based on our decisions, good or bad. But God knows that. And so he provides in that moment. And so what does he do? What do the angels do? What do they tell the shepherds in Luke 2.12? This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Here's your sign. Right? That's what they tell the shepherds. Here's your sign. Let me ask you something. Bethlehem's about 300 people. How many babies do you think were born that night in Bethlehem out of 300 people? Not many. And if there were, well, here's your sign. This one's lying, this one's lying in a food trough. Now, how many babies were born out of 300 people lying in a food trough that night? You're right, Joey. One. (laughs) One. Here's your sign. This is what you're looking for. When you go into Bethlehem, a town of about 300, now it probably had swelled quite a bit because of the census and people having to go back to their hometown, so it might have doubled up to 600 or 800. So when you think about that, okay, here's one baby 
lying in a food trough. You know what a sign represents? A sign represents you're on track. So when you're running this race and you're thriving and you get to a mile marker or you get to some marker, right, you you realize that this is my sign. I'm on the right track. Now, sometimes your sign is the enemy because the enemy gets mad. And so he's going to put things in your path to, to make you think, I can't be on the right path. This is too hard. This is a struggle. This is tough. But just know that the enemy is going to fight you. It's a race. He doesn't want you to finish it. And so here's the sign. What's the sign? Your baby is in a manger. Your baby is in a food trough. You know what a food trough is? Think about this. I got farmers in here. I got people that own livestock in here. And I got plenty of you that have worked on a farm. You know what goes in a food trough, especially if you own pigs. Right? It's dirty, it's nasty, it's a very low place. It's not some place you take your newborn infant and lay him in it, right? Now, I'm not saying that, you know, Joseph, you know, one of his to-do lists that night was to clean out the food trough. Like, you got to clean that out, right? You know, you bleach that thing out. I'm I'm all about, ask my wife, I'm all about bleach. I use bleach. I've ruined so many pieces of clothing because I use bleach on everything, I'm, I'm like, what's wrong? My arthritis is ask, acting up. I'm like, dip it in bleach. Bleach will fix it. Bleach fixes everything. Right? She's laughing because she knows it's true. <laughs> I'm like, bleach. Bleach it. And um, so anyway, you know, Joseph's probably cleaning out the trough. Mary's giving him his to-do list. Right? And she's like, what is that crusty thing right there? Get that crust off the bl- You got the son of God. You got, you, you got the guy that's going to bring make Israel a world's a world power, and set up a kingdom, and you're going to put him in there with that crusty, get that crusty off the side of that trough, right? I mean, it's just a picture of the conversation that they're having. Think about that. It's not a coincidence that he was laid in a trough in a town called Bethlehem. It's not a coincidence. Remember, God appoints things, right? God appoints things. God has a plan. God has a purpose, In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, several hundred years before Jesus was ever born, the prophet Micah says, But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. So Micah prophesies several hundred years before Jesus was ever born and documents and says, Bethlehem, You might think you're small and insignificant, but know this. The one who is from ancient times, the one who created time itself is going to come in Bethlehem and he's going to visit you. Now, why is it not a coincidence that Jesus was born in Bethlehem and put in a food trough? Well, the word Bethlehem itself in Hebrew is Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Sounds a lot like Bethlehem, doesn't it? It's two words. Beth, the word Beth, or Bech, means bread. Lechem means house. Essentially, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And the bread of life gets laid in a food trough for all mankind. It's not coincidence that the bread of life is born in the house of bread, put in a food trough, and then announced to shepherds, what humanity needs 
to eat and to live and to survive on is in a food trough at the house of bread. Listen to what Jesus said. We, we read it for communion this morning in John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Our last verse this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. He references a race again. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. To run your race. To, I'm getting ready to tie all this up in about 60 seconds. But to run your race in your life, to do the things that God has appointed you to do, to thrive, right? If you are going to thrive, to honor the righteous invitation to venture into eternity. If you're going to do that and run your race, if you're going to run the race, you need to load up on some carbs. And Jesus says, I'm bread. And if you're going to run the race of life, you need to load up on carbs. So all you bread lovers, I'm sorry all you keto people this morning, all right, Turn to your neighbor and say, it's okay to eat carbs. Look at your other neighbor and go, I want some bread. Look at you all, all you women high-fiving like, I get off my diet now. Right? Every runner knows they have to load up on carbs before they run a race. Why are we trying to run the race of life and not loading up on the carbs that Jesus provides from the house of bread and a food trough, right from day one. He says, I'm, I'm what you need. I'm what you need. Listen, God might appoint some things in your life, right? But when that appointment happens, good or bad, God's going to provide. And what's he going to provide? He's going to provide his voice He's going to invite you to thrive. And then he's also going to provide whatever it is that you need. If it's carbs, he's going to provide the carbs. So when you just pick out on the rolls and on the cake, be like, my pastor said I could eat this. Right? But what you really need to consume is the life of Christ for this race we call life. And that was the invitation of the angels to the shepherds was to say, hey, today there's an opportunity for you to begin to thrive. It's at the house of bread laying in a food trough. Will you go worship him? And that invitation has been made every day for the last 2,000 years. And for 4,000 years prior to that, people were pointing to it. And now we get to live in it. So that's my invitation to you this morning. Will you choose Jesus as your bread for life? Let's stand up. I'm going to ask Aaron and Lori to come down here. And if I can have Steve and Bonnie to come down here on either side. As we close out in song this morning, 
If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've never said, you know what, I want Jesus as the sole motivation for my life. I want Jesus to be my bread that I live on. If that's you and you're here this morning, I want to invite you to come forward. I want to not only invite you to come forward, but if you, if you don't want to be in front of everybody, go back to the connection table, fill out a card that says you accepted Christ or you want to be a follower of Jesus, and I'll call you this week. We'll talk. We'll touch base. If you need prayer for anything else as we close out in song, I just want to invite you to come forward.